0: And this game is underway with a bang. This is where the lacrosse area gathers to talk Wisconsin sports. The Wisco Sports Show is on the air. Join in by phone or text at 796-2558. Now, here's Grant Bills. So
1: we've been talking about the Monday night game, right? The Packers and the Lions, 23-22, the game that... Kept the Packers in first place and actually stomped the Lions all the way down to last place. The NFC North that competitive this year, right? One game makes that big of a difference, especially this early on, especially within division play, right? And we've talked about the wide receiving core and how the Packers uh, might be a little thin there, especially without Devontae Adams. And I think there was this moment on on Monday night, not on Sunday. uh, During the game, where us fans, we have these moments sometimes where one player is playing so bad. Where one, where one player is so detrimental to the performance of the team where we're tempted to say, God, cut this guy. God, get him out of there, right? Just because of one performance, right? And, and I think I saw a lot of that on Monday night on Twitter uh, and talking to Packers fans and on Facebook and, and all the uh, the ways that I try to keep up with Packers fandom during games, right? Mostly through social media. Leave him, you know, leave him, uh, let him get his own ride home from the game, right? Cut him. Don't even bring him back for, for tomorrow. Cut him tonight, right? We see that a lot. And I think a couple of times in my my time as a Packers fan, I have fallen into that trap where I have tweeted or, or thought that sentiment, right? Where get this guy off the team, cut him, just because of one game. And, and I can think of two instances. Once, was it in, man, I can barely remember now. Either 2012 or 2013, it was the Mason Crosby year. Remember when Mason Crosby had a terrible year? And he missed a handful of kicks in Pittsburgh uh, that, that would have basically won the Packers the game. And instead, right, they end up losing... Mostly because of Mason Crosby's fault. Now, I remember that night, and at this time I would have been 13 years old, 12 years old, whatever year it was. I don't remember exactly what year, but it was the Mason crosby year and I said, cut Mason Crosby tonight, let him find his own plane flight back to Green Bay, right? In 2014, I think it's perfectly acceptable uh, to feel that way about Brandon Bostic, right? just Just leave the guy in Seattle. Don't even bring him back on the team plane. Let him find his own ride home. I'm pretty sure a lot of people felt that way on Monday night. I saw a couple of tweets, you know, get Shepard off the team, cut Shepard. He's going to sink this team. He's going to lose him this game, blah, 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 blah. Why is he on the roster? Okay. I control myself. I did not uh, think that way. I did not tweet that. And I'm not saying that to brag, uh, but it is interesting, especially when you look at the rest of the Packers wide receiver depth chart and, and how important Darius Shepard, regardless of his if, if play on Monday night, how important he still is. Uh, yet to this team. Let me explain in a moment. This is the Wisco Sports Show here on WKTY. My name is Grant Bills. We're actually not going to talk a ton of Packers today. We're going to talk a lot of basketball. Uh, Dave Carney is actually going to join us uh, coming up at 5:15. Of course, he co-hosts mornings with Dave and Scrady here on WKTY. We're also going to preview the Buck season a little bit and go over uh, that long-awaited NBA general managers poll that comes out this year. Every year at about this time, I can't wait. It's one of my favorite things, and we're going to catch up with Drew Kelly. About tomorrow night's game here in the Mississippi Valley Conference. The game that we will be covering. And I mean me and Drew tomorrow night. We have a lot to get to. But I wanted to start with the Packers. I wanted to start with the Packers. Because a lot of us felt. Why is Darius Shepard on this team? Cut him, him. I know they were in Green Bay. But that sentiment right. Let him find his own plane ticket home. He doesn't even deserve to fly on the team plane. Or the team charter right. Would have been tempting to think that way. And I think a lot of us did think that way whether we tweeted it or posted it or not. But it's interesting because the Packers are in, in, in a pretty interesting spot right now with their wide receivers. Matt Schneidman uh, of The Athletic, who replaced Michael Cohen, uh, who left to to cover real football, to cover soccer, right? The original football. Uh, and, and Matt Schneidman has slid into that role. And he wrote an article earlier today, uh, how undrafted Packers rookie Darius Shepard is moving on from a forgettable Monday Night Football debut, right? Kind of summarizing exactly everything that went wrong from from a, a muffed punt return that would have given Aaron Rodgers the ball with the game tied at 13 to then uh, allowing the the pass to be intercepted on the one-yard line and taking 55 yards in the other direction for an ultimate uh, Lions field goal. Talked in, in his press availability this week, and Matt LaFleur, of course, was asked about it as well. Uh, this is what Darius Shepard has to say, and it's a really interesting article. If you have an athletic subscription, uh, definitely get on there and read it. This is what Shepard said. It's definitely tough just putting the team in that position with multiple plays that happened. It's something where I can learn from those mistakes and move forward. I think part of it uh, was just trying to to press to make a play. I just need to try to be more relaxed, play more relaxed out there, right? That's the theme. Matt LaFleur was quoted and what he had to say in press availability, right? Taking too much of a risk, should have fair caught it. A bad position, trying to catch a punt above his head, right? Shepard continued, at the end of the day, it's on me. I got to get my feet in the ground. Slipping is not an excuse. I got to catch the ball. He put it where I could catch it and make a play, so I got to make sure when I get my opportunities to make the most of them, especially during games. Now, this article continued. I think this was the most interesting part of of how the Packers players and and coaches supported him, made him feel confident, made him feel like, man, we still need you, right? Shepard said, it meant a lot to me uh, for these guys to have my back. It really helps bring you up after making those kind of mistakes. And it might be, to Darius Shepard's advantage, the current state of the Packers depth chart at wide receiver. Because there ain't very much of anything going on on that, that receiver depth chart, right? Now, if you look at the the injury report, Geronimo Allison is not practicing. He's dealing with a head. It sounds like the chest is okay, but still dealing with concussion. Devontae Adams with turf toe. And Valdez Scantling injured as well, although he was able to come back and play on Sunday. Field Yates, who works for the NFL Network, tweeted this out today, and I almost laughed out loud, comparing the healthy wide receivers for the Packers and the Raiders. These are the current healthy wide receivers on the Packers' depth chart. Jay Kumaro, Alan Lazard, Ryan Grant, and Darius Shepard. That's it. Now, that doesn't mean valdez Scaling won't play on Sunday. He's just not 100%. Doesn't mean Allison or even Adams couldn't play on Sunday, but they're not healthy. They're not 100%. The Raiders' current healthy receivers are Hunter Renfro, Zay Jones, Trevor Davis, Keelan Doss, who if you watched Hard Knocks, you'll recognize that name, and Marcel Aitman. Right? These offensive coordinators, these head coaches are gonna have to cook up, uh, cook up something through the run game, through the tight ends. They're gonna have to figure out something on Sunday because neither one of these teams has a, 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 a anything close to a healthy complement of wide receivers. In fact, and this is according to Matt Schneidman, and but but made available through the Packers uh, uh, injury report as well. Not at Packers practice today. Devontae Adams, Belda Scantling, Geronimo Allison, Jimmy Graham, Robert Tanyan. Those are five pass catchers. They're also without Darnell Savage and Kenny Clark, who's taken a step in the backwards direction, and Tremont Williams. Now, Sternberger returned, as did Ibrahim Campbell, which I think is a bigger deal than, than most people are probably thinking, especially if Darnell Savage can't go on Sunday. But just talking about the pass catchers, talking about the Packers' weapons, and the Raiders, the Raiders are disadvantaged as well. They need Darius Shepard. They're in a situation where I, I think, if I had to guess the healthy Packers wide receivers, and by healthy, I mean active, right? They're going to play. Doesn't mean they're 100%, but they're going to play. I I, I, I'm, I got a hunch Valdez Scantling is going to play. And then, of course, Jay Kumaro, Al Lazard, Ryan Grant, and Darius Shepard. Those are five guys. I would be surprised if Jeronimo Allison can go, and I'd be surprised if if Devontae Adams can go. Meaning, out of those five, one of which was acquired this week, so it's really like four and a half, Darius Shepard is going to have to play a role. Now, if the Packers had their full complement of healthy wide receivers, maybe Darius Shepard does get cut that Monday night. Who knows? But the Packers are in a position where they can't go cutting healthy wide receivers. And that works to Darius Shepard's advantage. His teammates, his coaches, sounds like they have his back. And that they're saying, look, we need you moving forward, man. We need you. We have confidence in you. Because we have to. But we have confidence in you. We need you, right? Moving forward. Let's go back to the Cowboys game. When the Packers were without Devontae Adams. And Matt LaFleur and Aaron Rodgers had to sit down and come up with a game plan. I said, look, this is going to be Matt LaFleur's first signature game. Where his fingerprints are all over the game plan. And what happened? Right? They threw to running backs. Constantly. Constantly. A big part of of Matt LaFleur and his system in Tennessee, in Atlanta, in Los Angeles, and now in Green Bay. That's what he brought to the table with no Devontae Adams. Well, now if you take Geronimo Allison out of the mix, and even if Valdez-Scantling plays, he's probably not going to be 100%. Now things are even more tricky, even more difficult, The Matt LaFleur might have to be even more creative. What does he come up with? It certainly helps to have Jamal Williams healthy, and, and he had a great performance on Monday night, including that big breakaway run of 45 yards. I didn't know he had that in him. I think they are going to be slinging the ball to, to running backs, to tight ends. But man, one or two receivers are going to have to step up. One or two. Whether that's Lazard again, or maybe Darius Shepard has a bounce back game. We'll see. Maybe Jake Coomer will finally make a make a big appearance, have a big performance, right? Like we've seen in preseason. Who knows? But this is going to be another signature Matt LaFleur game. And however him and Aaron Rodgers team up uh, to cook up a game plan for this upcoming Sunday, I'm really interested to see. Works to the advantage of Darius Shepard that, man, the Packers are thin at wide receiver right now. Can't wait for Packers Raiders. John Gruden coming back to Lambeau Field. It's going to be cool on Sunday. Uh, speaking of a return, coming back, Dave Carney, who co-hosts mornings with Dave and Scrady, uh, 6 to 9 every morning here on WKTY. He's going to make his return uh, to the airwaves for the second time today. We're going to preview the Buck season with him. He was slinging some some strong words uh, over the Milwaukee Bucks a couple of days ago, and I talked to him here in the studio uh, on a day where I actually got up before 9 a.m. Right, Dave has some some pretty strong words, some pretty pretty strong predictions for this Bucks team, and and we're just going to kind of catch up with Dave uh, coming up next. You're listening to the Wisco Sports Show presented by Played Again Sports right here on WKTY. This is the Wisco Sports Show here on WKTY. My name is Grant Bills. Thanks for tuning in. You know, it's been too damn long. We're just a week away from the tip-off of the Milwaukee Bucks season. And talking so much Brewers, so much Packers, so much Badgers, it's easy to forget about the Milwaukee Bucks. And they just might be the best team in the state of Wisconsin right now. And I thought, uh, no better time, no better opportunity to connect with our morning show host, Dave Carney, uh, who, Dave, hopefully you got a nap this afternoon because you are up at the crack of dawn. You're up before the crack of dawn, Dave. How are
0: you doing today? Dude, so before the crack of dawn and absolutely <laughs> solid nap. One hour, 19 minutes, bam, done and ready to go for tonight. We got a lot of football. There's some great baseball, but I- I'm super excited for Bucks, man. October 24th. It's almost
1: here. I can't wait for the NBA season. And this time of year is so fun because people are throwing crazy predictions around. And, and the general manager survey just came out uh, as it does every year. And we're going to talk about that coming up in about 15 minutes. But uh, Dave, I was in here the other morning. I, we were able to chat just for a little while. You think the Bucs got better this year. I, I don't feel strongly one way I or another. I, I think they're still really good. I don't know if they've got better or worse, but they lost Malcolm Brogdon, who by most people's est- estimation was either their fir- third or fourth best player. So, if the Bucks got better, you got to sell me on that a little bit.
0: Well, why do you think Milwaukee got better this offseason? Sure. Okay, well, okay. One thing that you have to keep in mind, Grant, and this is what we're so fortunate to have right now, is an emerging superstar in his early prime. Okay, Giannis Antetokounmpo is 25 years old, 26 years old. He got better. So, the Bucs right there got better because he got better. Wesley Matthews, and Marquette fans will remember this, Wesley Matthews is an elite defender. Is a great three-point shooter. Is he a 10-year solution at shooting guard Grant? No. But he's really good for right now. George Hill, you sign him for $9 bucks. Great. Dante DiVincenzo. Last year, he looked really good until he got injured. And then he didn't play again. So now you've got DiVincenzo, who looks like he's coming back to form. His athleticism is there. His shot. Not so much right now. But then you throw in some of the young guys. Brown still emerging, coming on, Connaughton, right there. I tell you what, the backcourt's loaded, and I think that Bogged a really nice piece, but if you can turn a second-round pick, we gave you three really solid seasons into a first-round pick and two second-round picks, and you keep together 90% of the court that got you within a couple of baskets from a championship shot. I think the Bucks are in really good shape. So I know it doesn't seem like on its face they're better, but I think the depth is really going to help them. And, and you and I talked about this the other day. The Bucs didn't have draft picks, so getting a couple of picks for Brogdon, too, it might not seem like a lot right now, but a first and two seconds for a second-round pick, that's a pretty good haul.
1: Well, yeah, if you look at it like a business transaction, right? You, you invested with a second-round pick. You got a couple of years. You weren't going to hold on to him anyway, it appears. So you sell him, and you're, you're able to get some draft capital back in return. I think that does come out as a plus. Uh, Dave, you mentioned the backcourt and how I think they have a lot of options, and, and DiVincenzo is just going to be, hopefully, in addition, when he comes back healthy this year, that they can find a role and and, and utilize. Let's talk about their front court. So they bring in both Dragonbender. Oh, and... Yeah. And Robin Lopez, Dave, I have no clue how this is going to work. I don't know how they're going to allocate minutes, but I'm so excited to see how they try to figure it out. How do you think they manage the center position and the rest of the front court minus Giannis Antetokounmpo?
0: Okay, so did you um, hear of this guy's name's Mike Budenholzer? He's the NBA's coach of the year.
1: <laughs> yes, absolutely.
0: Okay, so there, there's that, right? And so here's the great problem to have, right? So the, the Bucks figured something out in the playoffs last year that when you go deep and you go long, Marcus Gasol is a, a problem, okay? Big guys like that are, are an issue because they wear your front court out. Yadis can't play all the center minutes. Brooke Lopez is a very good off-ball defender that comes over for weak side block shot. Not an elite rebounder, but a very good defender in, in, in the weak side. So you use a guy like that in situations. Robin Lopez is a straight ball defender, okay? So he's going to be able to track the ball. Both him and Brooke work really well off the pick and roll, but Robin can step out, and he guards the perimeter really well. So that's going to be a big plus defensively. Now, Bender's a wild card, right? So he was, I think, the fourth or fifth pick by Phoenix a couple of years ago. He never really panned out there. They didn't know what to do with him, but I think you put him in a good system with a good culture. This kid's 7'2 or 3 or something. He's massive, and he's got really good ball skills. So I don't know what you're going to get from him, but don't forget Ersan Ilyasova. That was an under the radar signing. That while he doesn't give you surprising wow numbers, the other night when he started in place of Giannis in Dallas, he had 18 points in the start. Yeah. So he's an efficient guy that works really well in 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 Bud's system. So I think the front court, I mean, in my estimation, got so much better. It, it's it's really hard to um to, to tell exactly how effective it's going to be, except for the fact that we play very few preseason games in the NBA now. And the sample size is fairly indicative of what you'll see because while well, the starters don't play like the whole game, they play mostly every game. At least that's what we've seen so far, except for one game for Giannis or two games. Um, so I really like what the Bucks are doing energy-wise in the front court energy with, with Robin Lopez, um, Drodin, Bender, whatever we'll get from him, we'll see, but... Uh, having Urson still there. I I think this is gonna be a really solid front court.
1: Well Dave, if, if you just look at it from two thousand eighteen to two thousand nineteen, they started last year with with a group of centers, Brooke Lopez, Thon Maker, and John Henson. And, and this year they have a, a Brooke Lopez right. who I think most people think <laughs> a lot more of than they did last year. And then they added Robin Lopez and then Dragon Bender as well. And we'll see what he's able to do. I, I think that's a big improvement from one year to the next, right?
0: Uh yeah. <laughs> that's a real that's a real big improvement, man. And, look, we didn't necessarily know what what Brooke Lopez would bring, but you and I had this discussion on your show a number of times, and I think on uh, our morning show at least a couple. Brooke Lopez was an all-star with the Nets. I think he's still one of the Nets' all-time leading scorers. Yeah, And that doesn't mean necessarily that you're a great player, but you're consistent and you've got some offensive skills. So what he did was add that outside shot last year that nobody really knew how or, or to what effect he would be able to fully integrate that, but he's been working on that shot, Brooke Lopez, that is, for three, four years now. Um, he showed it with the Lakers a little bit and then with the Nets a little bit the year before. But, yeah, you think about what he has done, the way that he's evolved his game. Robin Lopez still a throwback, but he's the defensive center that the Bucs probably really needed and very durable uh, as well. I love it, man. I really do. And I don't want to be hyperbolic because I know last year I was telling everybody, hey, listen, we're going to the championship. It's going to happen. And there was nothing that I, I I would have had changed my mind up until game six against Toronto. Okay, but this year, I really believe the Bucks are going to the championship. and <laughs> It's going to be a great season. I'm super excited. The East is, is arguably weaker. I mean, I don't think that yeah we can say for sure, but it's arguably weaker than last year. So that said, the Bucs should have an easier path to make it. If they play the way they're – so far in the preseason which you can't necessarily judge but if they do that and it continues this is going to be a great season
1: yeah I have high hopes I'm excited uh, Dave Carney joining us on the five-star telecom talking text line uh co-host of mornings with Dave and Scrady here on WKTY uh, last question for you Dave I'm interested because we have just been so sold on this Bucks team, it's easy to forget that Mike Budenholzer has only been here a year, right? That last year was his first season. What do you think he can add in year two? Are there adjustments or wrinkles? How can he get better as a coach? Because I think there are some, and maybe even myself at times, I fall into this camp that said, well, you were up 2-0 in the, in the Eastern Conference Finals and you needed to make one tweak or one adjustment to get you the rest of the way, and, and he didn't quite do it. What can he change or tweak for the better in year number two that he wasn't able to do last year?
0: Right, That's and that's a good, fair question, but the real tweak is going to come from the development of the players in my estimation. Sure. Right. Like I don't think that there was a real bad play call that Coach Bud had. I just don't think that they made shots when they needed to. Now, the defense that was played on Kawhi Leonard by Malcolm Brogdon was highly effective when they went to Chris Middleton highly ineffective and 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 generally that was what seemed to be a, in rewatching that series which I tried not to do right away but I did later <laughs> that was that was kind of what I saw from that right is that Chris Middleton could not guard Kawhi Leonard at all and and when they put you know Middleton on Kawhi he went to the hoop every time and he scored on him or got a foul Ogden seemed to keep him out of the lane more, not all the time, but I think 65 70% of the time he was forcing him to pass the ball or take a mid-range shot, which while he'll make 45 50% of the time is better than a layup. So the point is, I think development, it will be Coach Bud's real tour this year. Developing guys like DJ Wilson, developing Dante DiVincenzo, developing Giannis Antetokounmpo, which, as ridiculous as that might sound, this is still a very young basketball player because, see, now he seems like this established forever superstar. Three and a half years ago, he was the most improved player. Yeah. Nobody saw this. Thing. Nobody did. Okay, it was still going to be Jabari Parker's team. So I think that's where Coach Bud's going to be able to really show and, and earn his stripes, Grant. And for listeners that have no idea who Coach Mike Budenholzer was before he came here, he was part of Greg Popovich's staff since he was in the film room. Okay, he works with Greg Popovich, wins four championships, goes to Atlanta, first-time head coach, takes the Atlanta Hawks with Al Horford, who've never shot outside of 15 feet, turns him into a three-point shooter, Paul Millsap, same thing. Atlanta wins 60 games, goes to the Eastern Conference Finals, and challenges LeBron James on the road to one of his eight consecutive finals runs. Okay, then he gets coach of the year there. He comes to Milwaukee and takes the Bucks further than they've been since Kareem Abdul-Jabbar was present. So the the idea that there is not still more that can be milked out of this um it is one that i think fans should just disregard because there is so much left the, the youth on the team is really such a plus and even middleton who i think you and i both agree we would have loved to have seen brogdon stay for what it's worth if everything yeah. could have been you know similar you know with contracts over middleton it just wouldn't have happened like that but even chris middleton has shown an improvement in his game he worked it really well the conference finals were a tough sell I think the Bucks in my estimation got comfortable and they figured after they had played so sloppily and were able to come back against teams like Boston and even you know Philadelphia that they're going to be able to uh to get through uh well actually they didn't play Philadelphia but they played Boston and so I just think that they they got a little ahead of themselves. And once that two nothing lead came, it just, it was, it was too much for them.
1: Yeah. I, I think, and I think a year of experience and, and, a tough loss in the playoffs too probably is, like I said, a learning experience and something to build on moving forward. Dave, I'm excited. Uh, first game for the bucks a week from tonight, a uh, home opener, yes, I believe baby. a, a yep. week from Saturday, they'll host the heat. So I'm so excited, Dave. I hope we get to talk throughout the Bucks season as well. I, I love the excitement and I love the enthusiasm uh that, that you bring in the morning for this bucks team because wisconsin needs it especially on this side of the state so i appreciate a couple of minutes dave
0: and no problem and i will just put you on the spot right now i want you on the show with us mornings with me and a cast of characters uh next wednesday can i book you
1: next wednesday you got it perfect have an awesome weekend dave thanks for uh, thanks for your time as always see you bud yeah have a good one that's dave carney uh, co-host of mornings with dave and scrady here on WKTY, I know Dave, it's not that Dave doesn't love football or doesn't love baseball. Dave is a basketball guy. He cannot wait for the NBA to start, and I am uh, much of the same as well. And it sounds like I'm going to have an early wake-up call next Wednesday. So good, I'll have something to wake up for early. I can start my day. I can be productive uh, next Wednesday morning with Dave. I-, I think something really interesting that he said, where where two of Dave's points kind of came together uh, from different topics. A-, a learning experience in the playoffs and a losing experience, really, for Coach Bud against Kawhi Leonard and an improved front court, right? Now that Kawhi Leonard is out of the East entirely, that's not a matchup they're going to have to worry about until the NBA Finals. So who becomes the matchup problem? Well, I think Giannis can handle Ben Simmons okay. I mean, he did call him a effing baby at one point last year. Joel Embiid is probably the the matchup nightmare that remains. And who did the Bucs bring in? Robin Lopez, the straight-up ball defender that they were lacking last year that Dave was just talking about, Right. Of course, Brooke Lopez is still there. They also bring in Dragon Bender. It helps to have depth when trying to defend an elite player, and I think Joel Embiid becomes that elite player, and I think the Bucks improved uh, their ability to cover that elite player this offseason. Interesting how interesting how points come together, right? Dave Carney, thanks a lot for joining us. When we come back, I want to talk about that, that so awesome, so wonderful NBA general manager survey uh, that happens every year at this time. And if I made it sound lame and and nerdy and boring, it's not. Let me explain all what it includes. It's full of delicious little nuggets and bits of drama, just like every piece of the NBA includes. We'll talk about that coming up next. Drew Kelly on the way as well to talk about tomorrow night's huge game in the Mississippi Valley Conference. A lot to come here on the Wisco Sports Show. You're listening to WKTY. let go sports show here on WKTY. My name is Grant Bills. Thanks for hanging out. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, we're doing something a little fun, a little different today. I almost feel a little bit guilty. We're actually talking NBA. We're, we're talking Bucks basketball. We've been talking so much Packers, Brewers, uh, Badgers the last couple of weeks. We just haven't made time for it. Bucks open their season a week from tonight. That's October 24th in Houston. And then, of course, their home opener just a couple of days later, Saturday afternoon, uh, hosting Jimmy Butler and the Miami Heat. So it's about time, right? The the NBA tip-off has certainly snuck up on us. And every year about this time, if if you are an NBA fan, uh, or if you follow the NBA closely, you will know that every year uh, about this time, like I said, all the general managers in in the NBA are polled, and they're asked all of these awesome, fun questions. Now, it's anonymous, right? But the results are are always so interesting because you kind of get a feel for what direction the league is headed or what players are trending or teams are trending in one direction or trending in another direction, right? I kind of want to dig it, dig right into it and share some of these results with you. And it's funny because everyone always overreacts, right? They're so quick to judgment. They're so quick to criticism, right? And like, for example, one of the questions that is always asked and the results are fascinating. If you had to start a franchise right now, what player would you pick to start your franchise with? And typically it changes every year, although from last year to this year it didn't. And I'm not going to spoil who it was. But for example, a couple of years ago, Carl Anthony Towns was the hot answer, right? And then the first year that it's not Carl Anthony Towns and it's someone else, media members and, and pundits are so quick to say, Whoa, wh- what happened to Carl Anthony Tuck? Come on, what happened to Carl Anthony Towns? Well, uh, one year happened, right? We learned more about Carl Anthony Towns' game and we learned more about the, the game of other players. It, it, things change over time, okay? I was watching Cowherd's show today. He was just beside himself at some of these answers and how different they were from years past. I'm like, well, yeah. We've seen 82 more games from every coach, every player, every team. 365 days have gone by. A lot can change in that amount of time. So there is some fluidity, although some of these answers are consistent with what we saw last year, right? This isn't overcomplicated. It's just all the general managers in the NBA anonymously polled, and then the results are compiled together. So I want to go through some of my favorite questions and answers. Well, obviously the first one, who's going to win the NBA Finals, right? And it's just shaken out by percentages, uh, by by whoever got votes, right? So first place is the LA Clippers, of course, acquiring Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. Second place is the Milwaukee Bucks. Third place is the Los Angeles Lakers. It broke down 46% and 36% for the Clippers and the Bucks, and then the Lakers at 11%. So there's two heavy favorites, one from each conference. And then the Lakers are third. Golden State also got some votes, as did the Portland Trailblazers. Last year, it's pretty crazy. Golden State got 87% of the votes. So the Clippers are still favorites with 46%, but what a difference a year makes, right? Last year was 87 for the first place team. So I'd say it's a little bit more uh, competitive this year, right? If you want to break it down by conference, uh, 76% of first place votes going to Philly, uh, 24%, or, or excuse me, Milwaukee, and then 24% going to Philly. So Milwaukee, the heavy favorites to win the conference, Philadelphia right behind, and then it's a whole bunch of other teams. Boston three, Brooklyn and Toronto at four, Indy, Miami, Orlando, and so on and so forth. The West is a little bit more interesting, right? The LA Clippers getting almost all of the first place votes, then followed by Denver, the Lakers, the Jazz, who I I think most people are are going to be surprised by when the season starts, if they haven't been paying attention. Jazz got a lot better over the off season. Rockets in there, Golden State as well. I like the, the the poll questions and the results that are more based around players rather than teams. Right? So these these general managers are pulled on a lot of things, predictions for teams and 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 and, and conferences and who's going to win the championship, who's going to win the conference, but I really like it when you get into individual players because that's that's how you can really tell which way the league is headed, right? Are we focusing on shooting? Are we focusing on size? What player is trending up? What player's stock is falling? That type of thing, right? So straight up, who will win the MVP in 2019, 2020? Actually, 52% of the vote's going to Giannis. So more than half of the general managers in the league like Giannis to repeat. I'm not going to say I, I I don't think he's going to repeat, that I don't believe. I, I would just be, I would be surprised. Because you don't typically see back-to-back MVPs. Because we typically are attracted to the the, the new, the latest, the shiny object, right? One year it was... Uh, Russell Westbrook in his triple-double. He's averaged a triple-double every year since. We just got sick of it, right? So we'll see if if Giannis really is able. I think he's going to have to get better to win the MVP again. Steph Curry is at 2 at 10%. Anthony Davis has got 10%. Kawhi's got 10%. And then Jokic has 7 So it's Giannis and the field, right? If you were to bet on the MVP at this point, it's Giannis and the field. James Harden also got some votes, as did LeBron James uh, and Damian Lillard. This is my favorite question every year. By far, hands down, bar none. If you were starting a franchise today and could sign any player in the world, who would it be? One player, the runaway answer, receiving 86% of the votes, is Giannis Antetokounmpo. 86%. Now, that doesn't surprise me at all, right? He's the reigning MVP, just took his team to the Eastern Conference Finals, and he's only getting better. Dave said he's 25. He's actually 24, coming up on 25. His birthday is in early December. 24 years old. Giannis receiving 86% of the votes. Anthony Davis is actually number two, which is weird. Not because I don't think Anthony Davis is a good player. He's he's fine. He's great. He's a good center. Uh, Luka Doncic matching him at another 7%. Let's talk about Anthony Davis, though. Start your franchise and build around Anthony Davis. We've seen that before. That's what New Orleans did, and it didn't work. I just find that really interesting. If you want to say Giannis, there's a multitude of reasons, right? He is young. He seems to have the right work ethic, the right attitude. He doesn't seem like the kind of superstar who would get up and leave on you at least right away when things go south. He's very loyal to his coach. He stays healthy. He's large and in charge, right? He's not a... I don't want to call Steph Curry a... a, It would be disrespectful to say a gadget player, but if you double-team Steph Curry, he's only so tall, right? Like, there's only so much Steph can do. Giannis can take matters into his own hands a little bit more just because he's so big. But Kawhi Leonard isn't even in there? I think Giannis should be number one because of his age, because he doesn't get injured, right? He is a a leader, whereas Kawhi might just be a killer player. I don't don't know how vocal he is, obviously. I mean, he's just straight-faced Kawhi Leonard. New Balance guy, after all. But to not have Kawhi Leonard... To have Anthony Davis before Kawhi Leonard, the often-injured Anthony Davis, who was built around as a franchise, right? If you were starting a franchise today and could sign any player, the Pelicans did that! And it didn't work. They made the playoffs once or twice. That's it. I just find that fascinating. I'm not nearly as high on Anthony Davis as everyone else is. Luka Doncic I love, but after one season, to say that I would take him over Kawhi Leonard is, 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 is pretty Crazy. Some other of these poll questions are really interesting. Uh, Which player is most likely to have a breakout season in 2019, 2020? De'Aaron Fox, who might be my second favorite player in the league, uh, at least one who's not on the Bucs. Sacramento Kings are my number two, right? When I'm not watching the Bucs, I'm cheering for the Kings. De'Aaron Fox, I think, could have a breakout year. I think that's a a solid pick. Jaron Jackson, uh, also up there with some votes, and Jason Tatum, Brandon Ingram, Jamal Murray. A lot of players also receiving votes. I, I don't think there's a bad choice in there. The best point guard in the NBA, Steph Curry, I think, hands down, but also Damian Lillard and LeBron, LeBron James is really a point guard. He's more just a, a point forward or a power forward who just handles the ball. Best shooting guard, James Harden. Best small forward, Kawhi. Best power forward, Giannis. Not particularly close. Best center, Nikola Djokic, which is interesting because Joel Embiid is dominant. He's not the passer. He's not the shooter that Djokic is, but when it comes to straight up backing down the defender, I don't know if there's much better, more dominant than Joel Embiid. Which team made the best moves this offseason? The Clippers and the Pelicans, right? The Pelicans just because they drafted Zion Williamson. That's really it. They also, I mean, they also brought in J.J. Redick. And I love J.J. Redick except for his experience with the Bucks, right? Most underrated player acquisition, Mike Conley. Once again, going to Utah. I think Utah is going to surprise some folks if they weren't paying attention, that is. And then most improved team in 2019-2020. Lakers, Mavericks, Clippers. And then there's just a a, a a pile of teams receiving a couple of votes. Hawks, Nets, Bulls, Pelicans. I think the Hawks are an interesting team. Follow that one. Love this poll. I love this poll because it gets people talking. 86% of general managers in the NBA would choose to start their franchise today with Giannis Antetokounmpo. Pretty lucky in Milwaukee. We like to talk about how we're so blessed uh, with the Packers for drafting Aaron Rodgers and getting to enjoy him after Brett Favre. Man, Enjoy Giannis while we have him. I, I'm not saying he's going to up and leave. Uh, I, I don't know. They're going to be able to offer him the Supermax contract extension next summer. Enjoy him while he's here. I don't know what his future plans are. I think it's it's unfair for anyone to know what his future plans are, really. Enjoy him while he's here. 86% of general managers saying, yeah, if we had to start a team, we would take number 34, Giannis Antetokounmpo, the Greek freak. Pretty cool. Uh, When we come back, we're going to talk to Drew Kelly uh, and and preview tomorrow night's huge matchup in the Mississippi Valley Conference. That coming up next. You're listening to the Wisco Sports Show here on WKTY. Final segment of the Wisco Sports Show here on WKTY. Thanks for tuning in. My name is Grant Bills. Hope you're having an awesome night. Look, we've been talking Packers. Big matchup with the Raiders. And John Gruden coming up at Lambeau Field on Sunday, and of course, Buck season around the corner. Badgers season is about to get interesting. Tomorrow night, it might be the biggest night of them all. Uh, we are covering a game on WKTY, and you can watch and listen at WKTYSports.com and on our mobile app. That will decide the Mississippi Valley Conference. Holman. At Alaska uh, tomorrow night, and it's going to be so much fun. Here to discuss it with us is our uh, the voice of sports here on WKTY and our sister station, WIZM. Drew Kelly.
2: Drew, what's up? Not much, man. It's uh, obviously getting colder out, and uh, tomorrow is going to be not as bad as last week, <laughs> which we couldn't feel our extremities. Uh, about 65 for a high tomorrow, which is going to feel like a heat wave. For That's going to feel
1: like non-conference, like I know. early season That was games. like
2: August when people are cramping up, and you got uh, – all of everybody having to get water breaks. In the everybody a- who
1: goes down, you just assume it's a crack. Yeah, it's that's, a cramp. That's yeah. how you operate uh, in early season. Drew, we've been really lucky uh, the last two weeks. We've seen really good games. Sparta and Central uh, was an offensive, you know, fireworks show. And last week when we rolled into Holman and we started the pregame show, I said, I don't, I don't know if if this week's game can add up, which was probably a poor broadcasting decision, right, to downplay <laughs> the importance of our game. But it did. It, yeah. it was tremendous. It was a different type of game but a really cool scene at Holman High School last week and i think in the post game i was talking about the mistakes Holman made and i don't think i talked about how good sparta is i think i did a little bit of a disservice to them how good was sparta last week
2: well, sparta was really good because they didn't beat themselves i mean you take a look at what holman did they had three turnovers they could have had about 5 given all the fumbles that they had and some of the penalties they had also were just drive killers especially that last drive they you know they're they're going in for a score to possibly uh, take the lead, and I think they had two holding penalties. You know, they had a legal motion a few times, which obviously, with all the motion they do before the snap in the backfield, that's going to happen sometimes. Yeah. But it just came at the most inopportune times for Holman and, uh, Sparta. You know, they're going to be a team to be reckoned with in the D three playoffs because all of a sudden you play a bunch of NVC teams, play a lot of like big time schools, and you drop down in conference or in playoffs. It's the same thing like Aquinas in basketball. Yeah. Uh, you know, they might not be as great in the MVC for boys, and then they go to the playoffs and they drop down to D3 or D4, and they're almost automatically going to win two or three games because you're a bigger school, you've been playing all these tough teams, and now the level of competition drops off a little bit, so I think that's Sparta's uh, advantage there. As far as Holman, they've got two losses, they've turned it over eight times in those two games, so it's one of those scenarios where if they don't beat themselves, they...
1: They always win. They always win, sure. which
2: seems so cliche and so dumb because it's part of the game. Turnovers, it's, it's but just logical. It's just the way it is. I mean, they if they take care of the ball, and obviously they're not going to throw many interceptions, much less throw it at all. Um, you know, they're going to win a lot of these games, and uh, tomorrow we'll see what kind of uh, performance we get out of, out of Holman.
1: Well, Holman, Holman did make mistakes. They did beat themselves, although the final score was close, and we'll talk about Holman in a minute. But I do want to talk. So, Sparta when they don't beat themselves, they win. Like you said, do you think that's a lot to do with their experienced, high-level quarterback, Cole Wisniewski? Like, you got to feel more confident when, when the ball is in his hand every play that, that fewer mistakes, if any mistakes, are going to be made, right?
2: No doubt, yeah. And, uh, you know, he's been one that's been more of a running quarterback throughout his career. Uh, obviously, he's been really touted uh, the last couple of years as far as one of the best quarterbacks in the state, which he's going to be playing defense in college. But just given... His presence as an athlete and how big he is and how strong he is. I mean, it's just he overmatches a lot of the opponents he plays on the field. I was really impressed uh, with uh, Kent Tyler Kent. I think is uh, mm-hmm. the running back for yep. Sparta, which he hadn't been that much of a focal point w- we didn't really talk about the him entire at all season. Going in, yeah, um, and he he basically took the bulk of the load offensively in that second half for Sparta and just really kept it out of Holman's hands. And once you get up twenty-five to seven, at they when they were at that point. You know, you just basically say, if you're going to score 18 points against this, go ahead, because your offense is not built for that type of game. And so they really did a great job with Tyler Ken, I thought, of uh, slowing the game down. And, you know, if he can be that type of running back in the playoffs, you know, obviously that builds even more well for them because they everybody's, you know, going to be focused on Wisniewski. Now you got a whole lot of other players to kind of step up and have to work on. Uh, in in tape coverage and trying to figure out what they're going to do offensively.
1: Well, this is the Wisco Sports Show. I, I I try not to mix high school and college and pros, but just to make an analogy to make a a good example, I think Cole Wisniewski is obviously the superstar player on that team. But when you give him a running game like they did, and the defense played great and forced turnovers and actually scored some points of their own, Wisniewski didn't actually have to do that much. No, he just had to avoid turnovers, make a play here and there when they needed. If that's the way Sparta can operate, they can win a couple playoff games, like you said. No doubt. So I, I want to talk about Holman. Uh, they host, or no, Onalaska hosting Holman tomorrow. So last week we were at Holman. Tomorrow night we'll be at Onalaska, which I have not, I haven't been at Onalaska this week yeah. or this year at all. So that will be, uh, tomorrow night will be a fun experience for me. What kind of challenges does Onalaska present? Because I feel like a lot of the teams in the NBC, there's a storyline or a player you can pick out, right? Yep. Holman's their play style and their their resume of, of sustained success. You have. Division one athletes on on Sparta and on Central. What does on Alaska bring to the table? Because they're good, but they might we might never bit, talk
2: about them. They might be the best team in the conference, yeah. quite frankly, because they're seven and one. Um, the only loss is to Lake Mills, where they obviously didn't play their best game. I think it was twenty one to fourteen. So obviously, offensively, you know, you, you play some of those teams in the non conference to get yourself in a better position towards the end of the season. Get yourself in a situation where you're you know, still trying to work on some things in the non-conference. So once the conference season comes, you know, you're all set to go. But um, they basically are as balanced as balance can be. Uh, 70 yards more rushing than passing. Uh, Nathan Lubinsky is a big-time running back. Uh, Austin Larson in his second season, a quarterback, uh, like 18 touchdowns and two picks. One of them, I was talking to Coach Hachinsky, who was a Hail Mary at the end of the game. So it was either, you know, you give yourself a chance or not. Yeah. Uh, so that one was kind of a wash. Um, and... Landon Peterson and Hank Olson on the outside are really good receivers. Uh, two guys that really can, you know, take the top off the defense for a lack of a better term. And uh, Holman's defense just completely shut down Johnny Davis two weeks ago, or last week rather. Forty-one to nothing, and Johnny had Onalaska. like on Alaska beat Central forty-one to nothing, mm-hmm. uh, just completely styming them, which I thought was almost impossible. I thought if and if you can stop Johnny Davis, you can shut down pretty much anybody, you can beat anybody. at this point, and so obviously they've got that going for them, only allowing 26 points in conference play in the five games that they have. And so it's going to be a tough one for for Onala- for Holman to come into Onalaska and beat them. If they uh, do get the victory, they'll be forcing a three-way tie in the MVC. Onalaska wants that championship outright, though.
1: Yeah, I I don't like the sharing of conferences in high school football, and I can't imagine Onalaska or Holman or Sparta or any of these teams would ever choose sharing a conference title if they can avoid it. Tomorrow night is going to be so much fun for that reason. Drew, as always, thanks for a couple of minutes. 650 pregame tomorrow night. Absolutely. And we'll be on the air at about 7 with kickoff from Onalaska. Holman, Anna, and it's going to decide the Mississippi Valley Conference tomorrow night. Don't forget, you can also stream with video as well, with a scoreboard, with everything you need. It's just like watching the game on TV presented by Firefighters Credit Union. That's available on our website, wktysports.com, and on our mobile app as well. Hope you're tuning in tomorrow night. It's going to be a lot of fun. Badger Roundtable show from 5 to 6 tomorrow night and then live from Alaska High School. Have an awesome weekend. Enjoy the Packers, the Badgers. I'll talk to you on Monday.